This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, uh, today we are breaking away from Mark for a few weeks. Um, Mark is, it's going to take us a while to get through the book of Mark. Um, We were in chapter, we're about to start chapter four. Stephen wrapped us up in chapter three. Thank you, Stephen. Oh, there you are. Hey, appreciate you. Um, Stephen wrapped us up in chapter three. Uh, I was away at a wedding last week, uh, Hayden and Donna, a couple of members here. Hayden sometimes plays the, the cajon, thank you, um, that thing, the box. Uh, and so um, uh, wrapped up chapter three, and we were, now we're going to take four weeks and just kind of detour, hit some topical sermons, and then we'll jump back into Mark. So just to break it up a little bit um, and to give us some, our, our mind some different Um, approaches to things. And so uh, today we want to talk about worship. And so when you hear the word worship, uh, what, take a second, what comes to mind? What what is worship? What are the initial thoughts you think of when you hear the word worship? um, What what comes to mind? I would ask for like verbal answers, but I think we'll get nowhere. Um, Who knows, you know, maybe this side of the room, this side of the room is always lackluster. So maybe this side of the room would answer. Um, but uh, you can just answer in your own mind. When you, th- when you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? Do you think of this setting? Is that, that's probably a really common thought. Is, is like, okay, worship is the, is the church gathering. Um, I, I would bet the most common thought is like the music part. Like Charlie's the worship leader. I just talk. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but Charlie's leading worship type thing, right? I think a lot of times we think of the singing and the music. When we go away, we're like, man, what'd you like about the church? The worship was awesome. Um, you're typically not talking about the preacher. Um, typically talking about the music, something like that. Um, I, I, maybe it's, uh, you, you think of worship and you think a lifestyle. Like, worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time event. I'm guessing, and maybe y'all can give some type of nods of approval or thoughts. Like when you think of worship, you think of a, a religious action, like something spiritual in, in nature and in essence. Is that fair for, for most of your initial thoughts? Okay, I'm getting some, some nods. Good. Okay, great. So we are all worshipers. Every one of us, and not just because you're, you're present here at a church service. If you weren't present at a church service, you would still be actively worshiping something. At every moment and at every, every day, we are actively worshiping. The religious and the non-religious are our worshipers. The, the theist who gathers on a Sunday to worship God and the atheist who scoffs at the idea of gathering at a Sunday are both actively, presently, at the same time, worshiping. We're all worshipers. We do it naturally. We don't even think about it. Right, like right now, you're, you're breathing and the reason I know you're breathing is because you're, you're living, right? So we're breathing, but you're not thinking, okay, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. If you are thinking that, then that's okay, um, but let's talk afterwards, perhaps. Um, but we're not cognitively thinking about breathing, we just do it. And the same thing is true of worship. Like, yes, sometimes there are cognitive decisions made to worship, but even if you're not cognitively thinking it, we are actively presently worshiping something, someone at any given moment, at every given day. We are, we're worshipers by nature. To live is to worship something, right? So worship at its simplest level is the outward expression of an inward love. 
Worship is the outward expression of something that we inwardly love and value most. It starts inside in our heart. We, we value something as ultimate. At every given moment, something is at the most important of our, of our food chain, of our org chart, of whatever it is that matters most. There's something or someone that is at the top. Right now, something matters most to you. And the natural overflow, outflow of that is, is the culmination of worship. It starts in our heart with our love, and then it moves outwardly to our, our mind, our hands, our feet, our lives. And so religious and non-religious, we all have something that matters most, and our lives are, are responding to that, and that, that's worship. When we think about the thing that matters most to us, we're worshiping at that moment. We're responding with our thoughts to that which matters most. When we give money to whatever it is that is most important to us, that's, that is worship. When we talk about what it is that, that's most important, that's, that's worship. When we sing about it, right? When we orient our lives around it, that, those are all acts of worship. When, we, when we're obedient to or we surrender our lives to whatever it is that matters most, that is worship. And now that thing, can, it can change throughout the day even, right? I can, I can come here and genuinely worship God and then leave here and, and my mind can shift to myself and I can matter most and I can start making decisions that, that are about me the most, right? So it can move throughout the day even, but at every given moment, everything we do is because there's something that matters most to us, something that we value above all else and our lives respond from that. And that is worship. That is worship. So if I love some examples, if I love productivity, right? If I value most of all productivity, then, then I may work 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, right? If, if I want most of all to be productive, right? I may have my phone on me all the time. I may be checking my email all the time. The first thing I do when I wake up, if this is you, you may want to start asking, I'm, boom, checking out my emails, then, then productivity, getting the job done, moving the ball down the field, it may be what matters most to you and your life is flowing from that. Your life is evidencing that. If, I, if another person, right, if my, my kids or my spouse or even the idea of a future other person matters most to me, right? I may be thinking about that person. I'm, I'm listening to a song and when I'm listening to that song, right, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about her. You know that love song? Right, some Ed Sheeran. He's good. He's real. Uh, sorry, that wasn't in the notes. Sometimes my head goes right, but your emotion. So you may be thinking about it. You also, your world can collapse if that person matters most. And when, not if, but when, you try, when that person disappoints you, when that person disappoints you in ways that are bigger than you ever thought was possible, when that day comes. If we're worshiping, if that person matters most, then our worlds can crumble. Everything can fall apart around us. If I worship money, right? If that's what matters most to me. I mean, I'm thinking about how, how do I get more of it? How do I keep it? Right? Generosity is not really a thought unless somehow it can add to more money down the road. 
I'm anxious about the, the, the stock, right? The market, is it up? Is it down, right? My 401k, like, is it going to be there? Like, if money is what matters most to me, my, my thoughts, my emotions, my efforts can rise and fall with money. Growing up before I trusted Christ, reputation is what mattered most to me, right? I, I went to church for sure. I sang the songs. I did, I went to camp. I had my Bible, my Bible studies, but ultimately is because I wanted to have this reputation that involved the good church kid, right? I also still wanted my reputation with my friends that I, I would do whatever they were doing as well because reputation is ultimately what was at, at the top for me. If God is at the top for me, then, then I'm, going to, I'm going to be in his word. I'm going to not only be in it, but I'm going to, to obey it and follow it. I'm going to worship with his church. I'm going to sing songs of praise. I'm going to surrender to God. What, what right now, what are you worshiping? What's at the top? What matters most to you? I heard someone say, if you want to know what matters most to you, just look at where you spend your time, your money, and your thoughts. Just what are you thinking about the most? Where are you devoting the most time and energy? What, do you, what does your budget reflect that matters most to you? Now, that, that can get us in the right direction, right? When we're trying to figure out, okay, what ultimately matters most to me, you can start looking at those things that, that tell you, okay, my my budget tells me this, my time tells me this, my thoughts tell me this, but you also have to ask why, right? So again, you're all here. Why? Is it ultimately because the God that we love most calls us and commands us to gather with his church family and to bless his holy name? Or is it because, gosh, I matter most and I want to feel good and sometimes going to church makes me feel good? Is it because, man, Austin Life has a relatively young and single population and, you know, I'm just trying to lock down with somebody. And so, the, why, you know, that, you know what happens? Thank you, thank you, Mike, for, right, you know, so you got to start asking those questions. It's one thing to be here, but let's be honest, it doesn't necessarily mean we're worshiping God right now. You got to, we got to ask why are we doing this? Are we doing this for God? Or are we doing this, it's kind of sneaky, but for how it makes me feel, right? So what do you worship? What does your life demonstrate? And why? That gets to our heart. Why are we doing that? When you start answering those questions, and if we're really honest, we can figure out what matters most to us. We can figure out what matters most. And if you're thinking, man, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not there, uh, that's okay. It's okay. David wasn't there sometimes. It's okay to not be okay. I'm, I'm going to say that a ton because our, our culture in America has made it seem that it's not okay to not be okay, and especially the church culture. We're like, you can't talk about that. Shoot. You know, and it's okay to not be okay. We're just not going to stay there. We're going to be honest with where we are. We're going to own where we are, and then we're going to take steps forward. And so the last few years, I've spent a lot of time worshiping self-protection. I've spent a lot of time thinking about and analyzing and maneuvering and posturing things that ultimately will, will not let me get as hurt because the last few years have been 
really tough. And there comes a point when you're like, dadgummit, I'm tired of things being hard, so I want to focus on whatever will make things easy for me. And so a lot of times if I'm really drilling down to it, what am I doing and why am I doing it, ultimately it's because I want to make sure that I don't get hurt. Apparently, that's really common for the, the six Enneagram person. If you're, if you're an Enneagram reader, um, I, I'm a six. I hate it with a passion. Um, I thought I was the, the seven, like the GoFund person. Um, apparently, I'm not. I'm just some inward coward or something <laughs> that likes to have fun too. But um, I, like that's been a challenge of mine. Is I'm, I'm, I'm finding that the struggle, the temptation for me is, is self-protection. That's rivaling my worship of God most often. But here's the deal. I'm not going to get past that until I own it to myself, until I admit it to God, and I start taking steps in transparency and vulnerability and honesty. Look, the devil, he just wants you to think, you know, be like, no, we don't really address that. Because as long as he can keep one little section of you just tucked away in the shadows, in the dark, that's all he wants. He'll play the long game. He'll let that go from 5% of your heart to 7% to 15% to 37% to 82%. Like, he's good with that. It's okay for us to admit where we are. God's a big God. He can handle it. He knows anyways, right? Who are we kidding? Admit it. Own it. Let's be honest and take steps forward. What are you worshiping? What matters most to you? When you really get down to it, what matters most? Now, why is this important? Well, two reasons. One, what we worship is what we love, right? It's, it's what's at the top. And if we're worshiping something that we shouldn't be worshiping, the day is coming when it will let you down, and with it, we will crumble. Right? If, if I'm worshiping money, or maybe even beneath that, the comfort and security that comes with money, the day's going to come when that money is no longer there, and, and it will let me down. If my comfort, if my love, if my affection right, is in a job and is in productivity, the day's going to come when that's no longer there. Or what happens if I get in a car wreck, and my mind is no longer sharp anymore, and I can't do the job anymore? Then... If I've worshipped that, I go with it. If we have something at the top that we're worshipping that we weren't meant to worship, the day is coming when the world will give away beneath our feet, and if the solid foundation beneath us is not God, we're going with it. Our lives will crumble. And so what we worship, what we place our heart's affections in matters. And if you're thinking, well, it's just me, false. When we crumble, those around us suffer as well. When I'm worshiping the wrong thing and it gives way and I go with it, my wife suffers and my kids suffer and my coworkers suffer and our church suffers and my friends and my neighbors. Like when I'm no longer the best version of myself because I've placed my heart in something that can't handle it, others suffer as well. It's never just an isolated thing, ever. And so we've got to ask, what are we worshiping? 
But not only that, if God is who he says he is, which I believe that he is, then we are commanded to worship God only. There's none like him. He only is worthy of our heart's affections and love and devotion and surrender and worship. He is the creator of all. He alone is worth it. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted by, by Satan, in the last temptation, Satan's like, hey, I'll give you everything if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus responds in Matthew 4, 10, be gone, Satan. I think sometimes we need to, we need to be, get more aggressive with the devil. Like he's just a lying thief, just a deceiver. Sometimes we just need to be like, you know what, shut up and get out of here. In the name of Jesus, go away. For it is written, this is, this is from the mouth of Jesus. He's quoting this. You shall worship the Lord your God and him. What's that next word? Only shall you serve. You shall, it's, it's funny the word serve is connected there, right? Because, because worship isn't just a, an, an inward thing. It also then moves outward. But Jesus says there's one and one only when, when, when the devil comes and tempts you to worship something else, our response should be, nope, there's one and one only that deserves my allegiance. There's one and one only that is at the top that values and matters most to me. And so why does this matter? Well, because if, if you and I are followers of Jesus, then we've surrendered our own way, and, and he tells us this is, this is it. If I'm following Jesus, Jesus is saying, nope, there's only one who's worthy of worship, and that's God alone. So if I've followed Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you have said, okay, Jesus, what you say is it. You say worship God only, that's it. We don't get an option anymore. So yes, it's going to go bad for us one day, but secondly, we've surrendered that option. You don't get to say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and worship God only, but I'm going to take some some breaks over here and worship something else. Like, I'd like to do this and have this matter most. Like, yes, we do that, but we've got to repent from that and return. We've surrendered that right to, to say anything else matters more than you, God. We've laid that down when we follow Christ. So what are we worshiping? What matters most to us right now? Why worship God? Why, why worship God? I mean, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll admit to you. There, there's many. This morning, I was like, man, I'm just not feeling it. So? That's, why worship God? There's two reasons that we worship God. One, for who he is. And two, for what he has done. The first is for who he is. Whether God ever does anything good for us or not, he is God. And he alone is God. That alone demands our worship. Whether God was good to us or not, he is God. He is our creator. He is the Lord over all. There is none like him. He will not share his glory with another. So whether he's good to us or not, he demands our worship because he alone is God, period, end of story. For us to worship anything else is to seek to take the place of God. 
Like, let's be honest with what worshiping something else is. It is seeking to, hey, God, I know what's best. I got this. This goes on top. We're seeking to take the place of God, the supremacy of God. So just be, let's be cautious. Let's be real with what we're saying in our hearts when we seek to worship something else, right? He alone is God. He alone is worthy of it. I struggled with this because I'm like, all right, God, how do, I, how do I convince people to worship you? Like, how do I convince people to, to value you above all else? And, and the reality is I, I can't. There is no creative pitch I can give you. There's no like illustration that's just going to change your heart. There's nothing that I could say right now in my own strength that would change your heart and be like, oh my gosh, I love God more than anything. Like that's beyond my capabilities. And so I just wanted to read some passages and let God speak for himself for why he is worthy. Isaiah 40, if you want to just jot these down, I mean, we'll have this verses up here as well, but I may not read all of them. This is one of my favorite chapters to go to when I just want to be amazed with, with who God is. Go to Isaiah 40. You've got a people who've been in captivity for hundreds of years. They're, they're hopeless. Like they, can you imagine you're, you're born into something that you don't know any difference of? Like we, we moved into COVID. Can you imagine being born into that and never knowing a difference of it? Like I felt hopeless for a year. Imagine being in year 38 or 57 or something, right? Like, they were hopeless. And so God comes in and he's like, hey, let me tell you some hope here, folks. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Spurgeon said the word behold is a divine highlighter. When you see it in the Bible, it should be like it's already highlit for you. And you're like, whoop, let me lock in here. Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I don't know about y'all, but one of my struggles of late that I'm really wrestling with is, okay, God, I know you're there, but are you here? Like, I, I've been taught my whole life that God is with us, but like, for real, God, are you, like, seriously, are you here? My devotional recently from uh, Paul Tripp, um, New, New, New Mercies, New Morning Mercies, I don't know, it's, thank you, that one, um, let's say June 4th-ish, something like that, it, it, it's, the whole thing was like, hey, we don't have to worry about anything because God is actually with us. And I was like, God, I worry a lot. Like, does that, does that mean, like, but literally if God, if, if God were like standing here with me, I, I don't think I'd be afraid. Like, I don't, I don't think I would worry about what others would think if God's like, well done, killing it, son. Like, I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry about if things are going to get taken care of when God's like, oh, I can create that. We're good. Don't worry about it. So when I worry, it's because I'm, I'm not believing that God is literally with me. Does that make sense? Like my faith has lacked that God is actually tending his flock like a shepherd. Like that's not just poetry or metaphor. He actually is engaged in my life. That changes everything. But my faith has been lacking in that regard, but he's with us. He will carry us with us. He will gently lead, though, like he's, he's engaged. 
Then he goes on in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Yo, I can hold about a cup of water in my hands. I have decently sized hands. Mike, Mike asked if my hands were growing the other day. I was like, I don't I, I think they stop at some point. Like your ears and your nose keep growing, but I think your hands stop. About a quarter cup of water in my hands. And it says that God has measured the Atlantic Ocean, just with, but not just it, like all of the waters, right? He just drops a little bit out. And he's like, there's the Atlantic. And then he moves over and he's like, let's put the Mississippi River. And then here's the Pacific, right? Like he's measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hands. That's, that's how big his hands are. It says, and marked off the heavens with a span. Like I, we talked about this before, the, the, the millions of, of millions of light years that the scientists have discovered thus far. And they're like, it's, we haven't reached the end. It's just as far as we've been able to see. The millions and millions of light years. We, we live in the Milky Way galaxy with I don't know how many stars, billions and billions. And it's a rather small galaxy in the billions of galaxies that have been discovered. Right? And, and a span is a measurement. You can go one of two ways, right? It's either the tip of this finger to the tip of your thumb. Like that's a span. Or if we want to give God the benefit of the doubt, right? give him a little room to work with. It's the tip of this finger to the tip of this finger stretched out like this. So let's just say, let's just give God the full length, right? So God's like, huh, I don't know. The heavens, boop, looks good. Right? Like, like he's, I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about that. You know, He's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. The, the spin of the earth matters. The, the tilt of it matters, right? So God, when he's getting uber precise in the formation of this place earth that we live on and still exist. And he's getting incredibly exact because you can't get too close to the sun because then you're going to burn up, but you can't get too far from the sun because then you're going to freeze. So we got to have this big old thing called earth spinning in a way that will orbit in a way that it's just right. And God's like, okay, well, I better balance out the hills and the mountains in a scale so that it doesn't get top heavy or something. Right? Like God is... The orchestration and the intricacies of God just putting together the Rockies, and yet I want to go snowboarding and worship a mountain like it's bigger than God? That's stupid. Come on. You know? Like, I want to go stand at the, at the beach at the ocean and just be amazed at the waves, and God's like, man, I just, I just blew and made that wave. What are you talking about? Like, we want, to, we want to get focused on the created rather than the creator, this is who God is. If you read down a little bit, again, we're not going to get to all of it, right? But if you get over to, um, to verse 26, and he says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. That God has a first name for every star he's created, Come on, I can't even remember the name of my kids. We just have four, Mike, just four, not 13, just four. I can't even remember their names. Then we added a dog. I'm like, forget that. I don't know what their names are. God knows the name of every 
star. You get over to Matthew and Jesus is like, hey, he knows every hair on your head. And, and for some of us that frequently lose their hairs, he knows when they go away as well. And yet, and yet I'm going to worship the created. I'm going to worship the thing that he made and not the one who made it. I'm going to act like I'm in control. Hey, God, l- let me take care of myself and forget that, that God is there and taking care of us. We're called to worship him for who he is. We jump over to, or jump back to Psalm 145. Psalm 29 is another one if you want to write that down. We just won't have time to get through it all, so just write that down. Psalm 145, verses 4 through 9. I mean, the whole, the whole psalm, but... One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I think our problem, my problem, our problem, is that we settle and we worship for lesser things. C.S. Lewis has this quote where he talks about how you know, we're, we're far too easily satisfied and that we're satisfied with, with mud pies just playing in the dirt when, when a holiday at the sea is offered to us. That's what happens when we worship something other than God. Hey, God, let me, let me worship this little created thing when he's like, oh, hello. Like, there's something more for you just in who he is. The reason our worship lacks is that we lose sight of how great God is. If we see how awesome he is, how holy he is, how great he is, you won't be able to stop the worship that comes out of you. Like we we won't just casually, you know, sing songs about how great God is. Like we will be literally moved by how great God is. And so we just got, we gotta be honest. We gotta be honest. We've got to confess and ask God to change our vision and our hearts. Because the reason we don't worship God is that we've, we see something else as greater. Our vision's off. It's just off. We worship him for who he is, and we worship him for what he has done. You see, God demands our worship, whether he's good to us or not. But praise be to God that he is good to all. Psalm 103 is just a beautiful psalm that tells us why we worship God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget the goodness that God has done to you. Ephesians 1, I said this a lot, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense, right? Past tense. In Christ, every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places has been given to us. 
Don't forget his benefits. What are those benefits? He forgives all your iniquity and heals all your disease. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Don't forget the Lord's benefits. The benefit that, that we see here, the benefit that we see in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because God first loved us. The benefit that we see in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that while we were rich or while we were poor, yet for our sake, he became poor on our behalf so that we might have the abundance and the wealth of God. I misquoted that poorly, but... Don't forget his benefits. That we, the created, that that God did not need us. That God God wasn't lonely and thought, man, I need humanity to come and give me some comfort. That God God wasn't low on praise and worship. We're not commanded to praise God because he's like, shoot, if these people don't praise me, my praise meter is going to be dropping. Like his praise meter is just fine because the the son is praising the father and the father is praising the son and the spirit is praising the son and the spirit is praising. He's fine on praise. He's fine on worship. He's good. He doesn't need us. He creates us to invite us into his divine fellowship. Like the fact that we exist is nothing but a grace and a mercy of God to invite us into that divine communion of Father, Son, and Spirit. And then us in our supernatural crazy arrogance, we're like, hey, God, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for inviting me into the abundant life that is your presence. I'm going to go do my own thing now. I'm going to go chase after my own affections and my own loves. I got this. I don't need you. And so we walk away from God. Like we know best or something. Like this incredible arrogance. And yet, like in that case, I don't know about you, when someone treats me like that, later, see you, you're lost. Right? I'm not going after you, but God chases after us. And that Jesus willingly let go of what was his, and he came to earth to live among us. And he didn't just come to live among us, right? He could have come to earth and been like, get your act together. But he comes and he humbles himself and he stoops down into the dirt and mess of our lives so that he can wash the filth of our sin away so that we can be reconciled back to God. It's not because we were arrogant and we were like, oh my gosh, I am so arrogant. My God, I am so sorry. I will make everything better now. No, it's because Jesus came after us because he went to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. So that the faith that he gives us, we can trust him and he will restore us back into the relationship that we walked away from. Don't forget his benefits. And then not only that, not only does he forgive our sins and promise us heaven one day, he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you my spirit to live in you. I'm going to give you the immeasurable greatness of my power to come and live in you. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, I'm going to go to heaven. That's good for you, though, because you're going to do even greater things than I did. So Jesus is like, by my spirit in you, yeah, you're going to, you're going to perform miracles. You're going to see lives changed because of my spirit in you. Like, don't forget his benefits. So part of the reason we don't worship is that we forget his benefits. We forget all that he has done for us. It's impossible not to worship when we have the right view of what Christ has done for us. It's impossible. I I went on a little rant a couple weeks ago 
Because it's not just it's not just it's, it's me, it's us, it's the church, right? Like we'll, we'll sit here and we're singing songs about how Jesus paid our debt in full, right? How, how the enemy has overcome, the reign of darkness is gone. And, and we sing it like some cheap, low-life, ho-hum karaoke thing. Like, what? And then and then we'll go watch some football game and lose our ever-loving mind from some grown adult that doesn't even know I exist, much less care that I exist. And I'll go nuts, right? Or whatever it is, the symphony. You know, we talk about, you never know, right? We'll go stand in front of a painting and just be like, oh my gosh. I can't even speak. Like I'm just. And then we'll get in front of God and be like, yeah, you know, it's whatever. That tells me that we have lost sight of who he is and we have forgot his benefits. We seem to return and repent. So how do we worship? And we'll be done. Two things. In specific moments and as you go throughout life. We worship God in specific moments and as you go through life. This is a specific moment, right? 10.30 a.m., something, 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 Dillard Circle. I should know the address by now. What is it? 59.25 Dillard Circle. Right? This is a specific moment, and it's in the scriptures. You go read Acts chapter 2, right? You, you, you see that this, this happens. There's specific moments And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I love this verse because our schedules are crazy. I'll, be, I'll admit, I'm like, I ain't got time. I don't have time for anything else. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Man, they were gathering for worship every single day. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, do not neglect to gather together with the church. You, you cannot read the Bible and say, I don't think God minds if we gather together in specific moments with the church. Like you're going to have to just cut pages out if you want to conclude that. We cannot read the Bible and say, like, I don't think God, God cares if we sit down with him and pray and meditate on his word. Like you would have to cut out pages of the scripture to say that that's not a specific moment of worship. And so we have moments of worship where we gather together, intentional pauses. We worship together on the church. Let me, let me encourage you, make this a priority. Like we wonder why the, the church lacks power. They were gathering day, by, every day they were gathering together in some capacity. And we want to do like, let me squeeze in a couple hours here and be done and move on. Like, just sheer capacity. Yes, we're going to see other things more than we see God because our attention is on other things. Right? We've got to make this a priority. We have to. 
We've got to gather with community. We have to get together with one another, and we have community groups, and we have discipleship groups, and we're together with one another, sitting and opening the word and helping one another. We've got to have those intentional moments. We've got to sit down with the word. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things that we worry about, they'll be added unto you. Either Jesus misspoke, or he means what he said. Right? Either Jesus is a, a liar, or he actually means, no, 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 seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things will be added to you. That's for you to decide. That's my own conviction this very morning. So that's what Jesus said. We've got to have those moments. But then worship is a lifestyle. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Every moment of every day, we are worshiping something. What are we worshiping? What we say, the words that come out of our mouth, they should, they should honor and praise God. The thoughts that we have, they should honor and praise God. The way we treat people should, should honor and praise God. The way that we give generously should honor and praise God. The way that we serve our neighbors should honor and praise God. The way that we eat and drink should honor and praise God. What we watch on TV should honor and praise God. What we look at on the internet should honor and praise God. What we do with our boyfriends and girlfriends or fiancés or spouses should honor and praise God. What we do with our friends should honor and praise God. How we treat the planet that God created should honor and praise God. How we love those who are wildly different than us should honor and praise God. How we love those who we disagree with should honor and praise God. There should not be a moment that, that we can't point back to and say, I am doing this because I love God most. I am thinking this because I honor God most. I am saying this because I value God most. I am going there because I honor and love God most. Everything should point back to the fact that we are worshiping God as most and greatest in our lives. Now, I get that we don't do that. And I don't think God's like, oh. I think God's just encouraging us, hey, repent, come back, right? Confess and repent. And the more we grow in God, the, the longer that we have walked away from him becomes shorter and shorter, and the time in between becomes shorter and shorter. Does that make sense? That we're spending more time following him and less time not. That's what it looks like to grow in God. We're still going to stumble. We're still going to fall. We're still going to have impure thoughts. We're still going to worship something else, but that becomes less and less and less as we grow in God and worship him more. So what are you worshiping today? Honestly, why are you here? When we sing songs, why? Why are you singing the words? Because everybody else stood up and started singing and you don't want to look silly? Because there's something in you that says you have to? Or because the lyrics of truth are, are 
are love songs to our God. Are songs that, man, I want, I want my neighbors to know that, bless the Lord, oh my, there's 10,000 reasons and then some. Why are we doing what we're doing? I think the, the verse, Charlie, you, you can come up. I think the verse that stands out to me the most is in Matthew. And Jesus, we'll see it in Mark as well. Where Jesus is talking of the religious, the Pharisees. And he says, man, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I just, I think that statement could be applied over many churches today. They're honoring me with their lips. The actions are, are right actions, but the reason why their hearts are far from me. Gosh, I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be you. I want us to be a church, a people that honors God with our lips and our hearts. That, that gathers to sing because he's worthy just because of who he is. But then on top of that, he's good and he gives us his benefits. I want us to be a people that are gripped by God. That our thoughts are thinking more and more and more about him. That when the busyness of life tries to crash in, we're just shooting back out. No, no, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. He gives us our order. We're trying to figure out our days. Gosh, what does our calendar look like? How are we going to do all this? Well, Jesus gave us the order. Number one, the kingdom of God. Let's put that into Monday first. Let's know where the kingdom of God, where we're going to focus on him. Let's figure that out for Monday first. And then let's figure everything else out. Tuesday, let's seek first the kingdom of God. Then let's let everything else figure itself out. What about Wednesday? What are we doing, Rob? Seeking God first. Right? That, that's, that's what, those are the words of Jesus. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, worship him. So we're just going to spend some time singing. And, it, and I, I want to encourage you, like, don't, don't sing for the person next to you. Like, whatever it is you do, sit, stand, sing, internalize, whatever that is, do, do it for God, Right? He is present. He's here. Like he, he's, he's here. He's here. And he, he's there and he's there and he's there. Like we're, we're doing this for God. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.